Welcome to The Lens with me, Ollie Barrett. The Lens is a business and the community podcast powered by Fujitsu and supported by McCann. My first guest today is Alice Sparks. She's the head of Invisible in Manchester. It's a social enterprise that trains people who have experienced homelessness to become walking tour guides of their own city. My second guest is Steve Morells, chief executive of The Co-op, one of Britain's best-known retailers. Over 2,500 stores, the UK's biggest funeral business, and much more besides. We'll talk about cooperation, kindness, lessons from lockdown, and how this may be the time to face up to some of the biggest challenges facing our society. Let's get to the conversation. Alice Sparks, uh, welcome to The Lens. Let's, let's get into how you first got started out. Can you remember your first ever job? Where was that? Yes, first ever job. It was as a caretaker in my old school in Germany. So I worked alongside a, a very grumpy German man who used to smoke and then fall asleep in the shed and tell me and the other students who are working there during the summer to do all his job. So it was scrubbing the boys' toilets, um, all the wow. walls of all this kind of crazy stuff written over the walls, um, and dusting the library, all the books there, cleaning up bins. Yeah, it was a pretty glamorous first job, to be honest. Goodness. Well, that's one way to broaden your German vocabulary, that's for sure. <laughs> so from being a caretaker, I mean, I'm fascinated today, though, because back to Manchester, uh, I guess in your late teens, I suppose, through some form of other education in the UK, how, how did the first career step start taking place? So within university, I was really excited to be, for first of all, be back in the UK because I hadn't grown up here. I was excited to kind of get involved and get to know everything. Um, so kind of threw myself into university um, and took part in everything I possibly could. And so I was quite active and then came across an opportunity to go to Rwanda um, to live in Kigali for a few months and be a junior business consultant to social enterprises there. So that's when I very first came across social enterprise, which has then kind of marked the beginning of where I am today, working within social enterprise in Manchester. Um, so that's the definitive moment went into um, social enterprise. Remind us the social enterprise that caught your eye when you were in Manchester. It was one founded outside Manchester. Yes, so founded in Edinburgh by a woman called Zakia was Invisible Edinburgh. And one day when I was there, I just came across it um, and thought it was really cool. So the idea is that people who have experienced homelessness are trained to become walking tour guides of their own city. So then they tell the stories of the city about its history, but also couple that with their own personal stories of experiencing homelessness. And as I said, I came across it and just thought it was a really intelligent, unique and fascinating idea. So got started with making tracks for it happening in Manchester, which just started with an email to Zakia saying, you know, love this. Is there anything happening in Manchester? And she responded saying, no, but I mean, why don't you just do it? So at the time I was 19 in my first few months of my final year of university. And uh, that's where it all began. Amazing. So just for my own benefit, let's just backtrack. These are tour guides yeah. who are have been or might still be considered to be homeless. Just let me understand. Yeah, exactly. So everyone that we work with has experienced homelessness, but homelessness is a hugely contested definition as well. So it isn't just people who are rough sleeping on the streets. It includes people who are living in temporary accommodation, in hostels, uh, in B&Bs and so on. Um, so everyone we work with has been under those circumstances or continue to be. Um, and the idea is to 
train them and give them transferable skills, whether that be in public speaking, research, customer service and so on, um, that they can then use to feel empowered, regain their self-confidence and sense of self-worth to then be able to go on and kind of get back on their feet and broaden their horizons. Amazing. So on the journey so far, single biggest challenge? I know you're relatively early stage with Invisible Manchester. Biggest challenge? One of the biggest challenges definitely just at the start because people who have experienced homelessness are obviously hugely vulnerable. So as a 19-year-old going into homeless centres saying, hey, I'm a student in Manchester and I want to start this, obviously people just didn't believe me or trust me, rightly so. Um, so it was a lot of people kind of saying, you know, there's a door, thanks for coming by, um, because they're just protective of their people as anyone would be. So it was the first year of Invisible Manchester becoming an idea. It remained an idea for a whole year. And I felt like an absolute fraud going in places saying, hi, my name's Alice and I run this thing that just did not exist at all. <laughs> um, so it was really just making the groundwork happen within a city that I'd only been for a very short amount of time, you know, only three years, being really young, um, perhaps also not being from Manchester, um, looking and sounding different to a lot of people. Um, you know, when you go into a homeless centre, it can be quite daunting because it's a lot yeah. of men. Um, and so, yeah, it was a long time before actually being able to make the right impression for people to then trust that this was a good idea and it was going to work. So yeah. getting that first person on board to then be able to help pioneer the rest of the beginnings. Really powerful and um, surely not too soon to have a moment that you're proud of on that journey so far. Give us a glimpse of something. It just varies so much. So I remember when I very first received the logo uh, for us, uh, I mean, only a few months into everything starting and being so excited that night that I couldn't sleep. But then it's gone from that to having Andy Burnham come on our tour and him actually be able to interact and speak to our guides. To then, yeah, this is Andy Burnham, the mayor, of course. Yes, the mayor of Manchester. Um, or then winning £12,000 alongside one of our tour guides, Danny, um, at a business startup competition and that just being hugely emotional or then just the general day-to-day -day of having for example a school a group of school kids coming on our tour and then afterwards writing letters to our tour guides saying about how it changed their and transformed their opinions and ideas of homelessness uh just hugely powerful moments like that where we're actually this is what we're trying to do is obviously raise awareness um and create a connection for people to then go on and realize that people who are homeless are just people who have fallen hard times and also right. are just like me and you and have interests and passions and so on but have fallen under the circumstances where they've ended up on the streets yeah and i get a real sense talking to you today alice of this idea of enterprise as a force for good in the world yeah totally i think obviously within social enterprise there can often be that it's a huge challenge because social entrepreneurs you know they're driven by that passion and therefore can be led by the social rather than the enterprise. Um, so making sure that they both come in balance is super important. But once you do strike that right balance, um, yeah, it's a huge force for good and has such potential to really transform the world of business. Good. That is a perfect point, Alice, to introduce our second guest today, Steve Morells. Welcome, Steve, Chief Executive of The Co-op. And that is a name. Uh, welcome, Steve, by the way. Thanks, Ollie. Good to be here. Um, uh, there won't be a listener that hasn't heard of The Co-op. You have uh, over 2,500 stores. 70,000 plus team members. But I'm going to start with the title, if I may. Um, the co-op is, the clues in the title, a cooperative. And I just thought it would be useful to remind our listener what that means. Well, it it, um, it means uh, many things to many people. But, but in essence, it's about thousands of many actions of doing good in our society. 
and we do that through our own member-owned um, setup, but we also do that through partnering and encouraging other businesses to work with us on important social issues, some of which obviously um, Alice has been talking about. Yeah, so in a sense, you're cooperating with your members uh, who all are part of the organisation, but also with other organisations across the community. And, and 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 just give us a sense there, um, Steve, of the picture. Presumably anyone could start a co-op, but I just wonder whether that's something that people continue to do. Forgive me if that sounds terribly out of sync with, uh, with, with what's going on. It's a very topical question, Ollie. Um, we publish uh, an economy report every year. In fact, Co-ops UK, the governing body of all co-ops in the country, does the work. And it's said that over 2,000 new start-up co-ops in the last few years, and it says that uh, co-ops are twice as likely to survive the first challenging five years of a new business than a standard non-co-op. Mm. Um, which um, in a way confirms what I've been calling out for a while now, that the country needs more co-ops. They need it because co-ops do business in a different way. We believe that doing good is good for business. And um, as we've seen played out in these last few challenging months of COVID-19, that the co-op model of working, bringing communities together, bringing people together is a business type that is really connecting with the general public. Right. So on that, I want to dig a little bit deeper on that, because what I'm hearing in your explanation is a thought around resilience, that ability to withstand the first five years in a way that ordinary quotes businesses don't. But just many business owners would say, well, we all like to make a difference and cooperate. What's the special source within the co-op that you think makes it very different? Probably three things. Um, as you say, it's in the name, we're a cooperative and therefore we're owned by ordinary people or people that work in the organisation. And most importantly, they all have a say in how we run the business. I think secondly, the purpose of the organisation is focused on doing good in society rather than maximising our profits. But we equally know that the more successful we are, the more good we can do. Mm -hmm. And then I, I think finally, um, we're very much focused as a social enterprise around sharing more of the wealth and success that we create and putting it back into local life, keeping the success in the local economy and uh, making sure that we try where we can to close the gap between those that have lots and those that don't have much. Makes very, very good sense. Sounds a bit, Steve, like you're a, you're the listener-in-chief because of that unusual relationship with your members, and you have to lead. So how do you balance those two? Are you being told what to do, or are you telling people what to do? It's one of the, the fascinating um, parts of the job that I do. You're always balancing the need to be commercially successful with the absolute desire to help society and make it a better place for everybody to live and work in. And we're constantly looking at both elements and we have mechanics that help us decide where we can go heavier in the areas of social good. Our vision, cooperating for a fairer world, points us towards skills and education, a lack of spaces in local life, 
and championing important campaigns like loneliness, um, yeah. social isolation, mental illness. And these issues that we've seen play out in, in the last months quite a lot. You know, the co-op celebrated its 175th birthday last year. You know, it was fascinating listening to the work that Alice did because she's, she's just starting. And it's wonderful to hear the refreshing way she describes the real good she's doing. That's very much been what the co-op's been about and has been doing for uh, many years now. So as well as food and funerals and legal services and insurance, we're back into health. We have a repeat prescription health platform that has been a real lifesaver for people during this difficult period where you can get your prescriptions delivered to your local store or another local store owned by another business or direct to your home. Yeah, and when you decide to do something, Steve, it really does impact the country. Am I right in thinking there's a co-op in pretty much every postcode in Britain? In every postal region, yes, up and down the country, there is a co-op. Strategically, we're just around the corner, very much in the right place for people's local needs. And the brand, I think, is iconic. It's well known. And therefore, everybody's really interested in what we have to do and what we have to say. And I can see what's going to happen in this conversation. I've got so much that I want to ask you and Alice about. So I'm going to change gear slightly. Of course, you don't just start out running the co-op, Steve. Where did you start out? What was your first ever job? It was either as a petrol pump attendant at the local coach centre or um, the newspaper ran. Hang on, what's a, what's a coach centre? We're imagining Sherlock Holmes rolling in with his horses here. Cedric's coaches were, that did tours for bus the most vulnerable, coaches. big bus yeah. coaches. And I used to um, cycle to the station every Saturday and Sunday and fill up people's cars and motorbikes. That heaven, That's not the thing done today, but it was a great way to talk to people, get to know yeah. them, and actually um, you know, started my interest in business at a young age. So we go back to a young Steve Morells. Uh, at what point did it even enter your mind that one day you'd be a chief exec or wanted to be a chief exec? Never. Um, uh, and, and interesting listening to Alice, my life was never as glamorous as, as hers. Um, <laughs> Uh, I was a child of the South. I did a a student's job at Sainsbury's and um, after doing my A-levels found that retail beckoned. This was at a time when the jobs that you were really taught to was banking or insurance. Nobody was really interested in food retailing. And I've been really fortunate to work for some great businesses. And then the opportunity came to come and try and uh, run the food business in the co-op back in 2012. And uh, I moved the family to Manchester and it, you know, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, eight years on, we've, we've had a few challenges, but we're a stronger business. And I work with some incredibly energetic, enthusiastic and brilliant people, women, men, BAME individuals, as well as white. Yeah, and what a journey it's been. Um, Of course, Alice, you've been locked down in London. Um, Steve, meanwhile, I know you've had um, an an extraordinary set of circumstances, deeply serious times for the country and, frankly, surging demand in many parts of the retail economy to keep our households going. Biggest lessons you've taken from the last few months? Well, I think, um, as you rightfully say, we've been very busy across all of our businesses, trying to feed the nation, trying to care for the nation with our funeral business, um, as well as giving them the medicines that they need. So our our challenges have been different to a lot of other um, organisations. I think it would be putting people and communities before profits would be my 
biggest learning during this crisis. We were very quick to support food banks. We created a COVID membership fund that's now allowed us to create nearly two and a half million free meals for people. We've developed a hardship fund for NHS workers who lost a loved one. We started to sell the big issue in all of our stores so that the street seller could still get 50% of the fund. And I think by doing the right thing and giving all of our frontline colleagues a, uh, a bonus thank you of £13.5 million across the group, I, I think that's reminded everybody that, that businesses with purpose uh, do things in the right way. Of course, you need to be commercially strong. But for yeah. us, it was about do the right things first. And of course, Steve, this is very close to home. You are supporting many projects at the grassroots in Manchester and across the UK. Just give us a, a sense of how you're doing that, because I really just want to get even more from you today on how, by shopping in the co-op, we are making a difference. I want that to be absolutely crystal clear, how that then flows through. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, as a headline, you, you can buy a loaf of bread and... and um, make a real difference in someone's life or a small local charity. So when you come to the co-op today or whether you buy a funeral um, product or an insurance, um, we have a way that contributes to a saving to your own wallet, but also we um, would contribute to a local cause. Uh, around homelessness, we would have put the best part of £900,000 over the last four years into causes that are set up about trying to help people who sleep rough and, and don't have a home to go to. Steve, listening to Alice's journey this morning, what um, or today, what question would you ask her? How do you think we can get our voice of difference and what we are trying to do as a co-op out there more effectively, especially into um, the younger generation? Um, so they know that the co-op actually is a different way of doing business. And then my second question was, it was really inspiring to listen to your energy about your startup business. But with those brave ideas, there are always um, many challenges and failings that, that take place before they really start to come to fruition. And I was curious to know, had you experienced failure and um, in, your, in your very early career? And if you had, what did you do about it? Yes. First thing is, um, obviously, Steve has spoken about the causes that co-op helps with. And Invisible Manchester is one of the causes. So we're based in Federation, which is obviously supported by the co-op. And Invisible Manchester has desk space there via the co-op foundation in partnership with Illuminate. So first of all, thank you. Yes, first question. So about how to voice the good that co-op does to the younger generations. Um, I think already um, the co-op is has a presence that other big supermarkets and retailers don't have. So for example, I don't know, even taking space within music festivals. I know you guys were at Bastonbury. I remember many years ago when I went to Festival when I was younger, there was a co-op space there. But that, you know, there wasn't any you know, I was communicating the message that, you know, we do care, we're here for our people. Um, 
you are voicing what you do. And when you go into the shops, you can see that there's signs and, you know, on the packaging, there's a lot of detail sometimes about the work that you guys are doing. So I think just kind of keep at it um, is what I can say. And I certainly shop at Co-op, particularly after I got space within the Federation, um, funded by Co-op. This is rapidly turning, Alice, into a piece of marketing collateral. So we have to, uh, uh, let's uh, let's talk about the, uh, the quite a challenging question from Steve about some bumps on the road, really. Yes. Bumps on the road. So um, as I spoke about earlier, some of the challenges of being having to really muster up the courage to go into spaces where I did stick out like a sore thumb certainly worse on the big challenges. And um, I remember one time when I was first starting things out and I was in the middle of writing my dissertation, but I also really wanted to, you know, still get this off the ground and cycling across Manchester on my friend's bike because my bike was broken, um, trying to get places. But I think um, the biggest failure that uh, has happened in the first, particularly in the first year, was when I was asked to deliver a TEDx talk. And I just took it way too seriously and kind of really burnt out as a result of trying to do my very best when I should have just kind of taken a step back and actually focused on the business, focused on the people. But I kind of got swept away with this idea and put up put a lot of pressure on myself that this was this was the breakthrough moment that was going to change everything. But in fact, that wasn't important. What was important was the daily doing the tours and being with the tour guides and being there for the training. Um, and I think I got a bit lost with that because I felt so much pressure um, to achieve what was you know, considered successful. So you say you've done a TEDx talk, that is what's successful. But um, since coming away from that, I realised that actually, no. Um, and instead, where I see success is just the, the day-to-day and having a coffee on the tour guides and just drawing inspiration from that. Yeah. Can I pick up on that very briefly? Alice, you and Steve have an opportunity, some might say a responsibility to use your voice. And you've talked about some of the pressure around that. Steve, you were the first high-profile business leader to speak out about the death of George Floyd in the US. Um, Can I ask you what you said and why it was important for you to say that? Yeah, um, you know, I think that there are moments in time when when individuals, and I certainly have a platform um, through the job that I do, um, need to be heard. Everybody, I'm sure, was horrified by what they saw taking place in Minneapolis. But interestingly, trigger moments happen that I think do cause change. And I I just thought it was the right thing. Bear in mind that inclusion is such an important part of the fabric of our co-op, you know, um, along with ethnicity and having a better balance between brilliant um, male and brilliant female individuals in in the organisation. We want to be a reflection of society and we want to have as many black African um, individuals, um, Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, as we do white. And I was horrified by what I saw, but I I wanted the colleagues, the 60,000 colleagues in the co-op to hear that I um, was listening and wanted to understand more about the journey they were going through. As a white man, Ollie, I I can't really appreciate the challenges that black people go through. But what I can do is ask the right questions, pin my ears back, listen carefully to what they say, and then go and act both in terms of career paths, um, eradicating uh, bullying, having a zero tolerance on racism, and um, start to build a multicultural uh, colleague base within the co-op. And then equally, in the future, 
start to have commercial propositions that appeal to non-white people. You know, we celebrate Christmas here. We should be celebrating Eid and, and the other religious occasions and make sure that we've got all the products that you need to celebrate in your, in your homes personally. Yeah. And so it felt right time to do it. We've got to make sure that the words and the music chime. There's lots for us to do. I don't have all the answers today, but it was one of those moments that it felt right to speak up and out. Yeah, well, thank you for using your voice. Alice, I want to ask um, about a question you have for Steve, but on this particular topic, this is um, something which has forced people around the world to review what they're doing. Tell me how it's affected you. Yeah, I think... It's a hugely opportunistic moment, given that the world was essentially on pause and now we're beginning to emerge. And it's the time where we shouldn't go back um, to places that we were. So, for example, with homelessness, we've managed to house, for example, in Manchester, over 500 people were put in hotels. And it just goes to show that when a struggle or challenge arises, or humans are able to address that and solve it. And I think... This is something where we need to recognise that it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity um, to entirely overhaul some of the hugely systemic issues that exist, whether it be about racism or um, social inequality or gender gap or, or what are you know environmental issues. All these things. It's a time in which we can stop and think: How are we going to do this better? And we've already proved that we can do it. So where can we go with that? I think is kind of a general reflection. Also, a big thing that I think everybody's come away from realizing is this is the importance of taking time for yourself. So the you know the huge improvement from people working from home, uh, from spending time with their family. I think so easily we've gone about this kind of commercial bubble. Um, people's happiness has really dwindled as a result of it. So seeing how we can kind of go back to that place and um, change things for good. Yeah, that's a really refreshing take on this, Alice. The idea that we might be, as a society, perhaps newly emboldened to revisit long overdue challenges and issues uh, that, that surround us. That, that's a very interesting frame on it. Um, uh, I'm going to change pace again because I've got some quick fire questions coming up. But Alice, uh, Steve managed to fire a couple of questions at you. What would you ask him? Well, you stole my question. I wanted to talk to him about because I came across that you were the first um, the first CEO of the big supermarket to talk about the response to Black Lives Matter movement. So instead, I, I want to ask, kind of leading on from what I spoke about, is that this has been time to pause. I want to ask you, what do you want to see change in the world or just within the co-op or within Manchester post-COVID-19? I mean, I've used the phrase of, um, if we could sprinkle a little more of cooperation across business, across social life, then we would live in a better world. Um, you know, we set ourselves a real compelling vision, cooperating for a fairer world. But in truth, we need everybody to come on board. And, you know, just listening to the question that, that Ollie posed you, Alice, around Black Lives Matters, you know, we should call upon people to get involved with these issues and um, come and make a difference. Uh, in those areas that, that are most important. Yeah, here, here. Now, I did notice, Steve, on the end of your AGM, your chair, Alan Layton, using the phrase, kindness has come back. Yeah. What an unusual and refreshing word to hear in the context of a very successful business. Well, he, he is a 
force of nature. He's a, an inspirational chairman. Um, he's quite well known in the UK, had a, and a marvellous career, and he's helped guide us through um, some, some difficult times as the co-op has come out of its crisis. Always make the most of a crisis, Ollie. And, you know, we're very good during those periods of time. So he's led us with, with real empathy, a real understanding of what's going on in the country, if not the world. And, and he, like, like I, are very passionate about rebuilding a movement for good that benefits um, all, but most importantly, tries to close that inequality gap. Yeah, no, really, really powerful point. That's Alan Layton, uh, chair of the co-op. My quick fire round uh, to all of our Lens guests, if you could meet anybody for a cup of coffee or a beverage of your choice, Alice, who would you meet? I would meet David Knott. Um, I think he's quite an... Oh, the I, scientist or the yeah, surgeon. he rings about surgeon, yeah. So he's incredibly humble and just an extraordinary brave man who operates in war and natural disaster zones um, to help save lives. And I think he's just fantastic and a family hero and would love to sit and have a coffee with him. No idea what I'd say um, because I think I'd just be lost for words. No, great choice, David Knott. How about you, Steve? Who would you meet? Michelle Obama, for me. I think you believe what she says and trust is such an important asset these days. We found that rebuilding the trust in the co-op. Her level of authenticity is to be admired. She speaks in a real simple way. Uh, a real believable way. And I think she gives a platform because she can to important issues and important voices. Excellent. Have you seen the documentary series on Netflix, Becoming? I've seen many uh, about her. And yes, I mean, I could equally love to spend time with her husband, but she's very much standout for me. Yeah, excellent choice. And a very popular choice on the lens. I might add, it might have to be uh, a group of us that go and meet her one day. Um, how about a book that you think is worthy of a wider audience? Uh, Steve, I'll stay with you briefly. What's on your shelf? doesn't have to be a business book. Well, no, my, mine um, is probably out was by Rennie Edo, uh, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. Mm -hmm. um, it it, it um, is a bit of a myth buster. It plays to my earlier point about um, how difficult it is to understand the real issues if you look at it through the lens of a white person. But it takes you to places that you didn't think were possible. So a great read. Great, and we'll link to this in the show notes, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Alice, what's on your bookshelf? For me, it'd be Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez, if I'm pronouncing her name properly. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's about a data bias and just essentially documenting the persistent gender inequalities that um, through facts and figures. So from everything from lack of female toilets to the number or and to the number of female figures or characters within Hollywood productions. It's a really, really fascinating read. Excellent. Invisible Women. Thank you. Yeah. Great recommendations. Finally, final question. Go back to your younger self, your much younger self, and give yourself a piece of advice. Alice, which uh, younger version of yourself are we going back to and what are you saying to her? I find this a very ironic question because age 22, the idea of giving advice to someone who, to a younger self is quite ridiculous. I mean, I was literally born yesterday. So, so um, but at the moment, the advice that I'm trying to, trying to live by and which I've been given to by people when I've spoken about this um, is basically just do everything possible. At the moment, I'm very fortunate to be incredibly free um, in that I don't have a family tying me down, a mortgage or, you know, any of these things, you know, the world really is my oyster and to use that to my advantage to be able to do what I think is important and be a vehicle for change so for example with homelessness I can't talk about homelessness from experience I can't 
I can never be a stand-in for those people. But what I can do is actually enable people to have their voices heard. So you kind of do everything within my power, um, not for money or for a claim or whatever it is, but just to try it all out and see how far I can get with it is kind of the advice that I'm living by right now. But maybe in years to come, that advice will change. So check back in in the future. Excellent. Well, we would love to. And please consider yourself part of the Lens uh, community for, from this day. Thank you, Alice. Steve, where would you take us back to and what are you saying to your younger self? Well, I suppose as an old fogey, <laughs> um, I'd kind of go back back to certainly um, the start, really. Um, uh, and and the, if you blame yourself um, for failure and credit others for success during your career, that will hold you in good state. I, I think be brave um, uh, and take some risks. But more importantly, and, and, and um, uh, you'll, you'll appreciate this, Ollie, and I'm sure Alice will in later life, getting life balance right is critical. Um, as, as a single father of three children and a dog, um, I know the importance now of spending as much time as I can with my kids, um, supporting them and uh, not working 24-7. Uh, and fortunately, I can, I can do that a lot better now, probably because of the position I'm in. But I think, you know, when I'm asked this question by colleagues in the co-op, getting your life balance right is really important. You need a stable family home where you can uh, spend valuable time that will help you actually do an even better job at work. Wow, what a fascinating and uh, very human glimpse of one of our best-known execs. Thank you, Steve, for giving such an open answer to that. That's hugely appreciated. And thank you, Alice, uh, for bringing uh, such light around what you're doing in, in Visible Manchester and beyond. And I genuinely had no idea before today that you were so uh, linked in the sense of where you are positioned in Manchester as well. So that's a lovely piece of serendipity. Uh, Alice Sparks, Steve Morales, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Ollie. Lovely to meet you, Alice. Yes, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Great to meet you. Hopefully see you around Angel Square sometime. You've been listening to The Lens with me, Ollie Barrett. The Lens is a business in the community podcast powered by Fujitsu and supported by McCann. If you like what you've heard, then please rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps and makes a difference. Thank you. Also, we're on Instagram at The Lens Podcast or on the Business in the Community website. The Lens is produced and directed by Aurelia Salitzketa, music and editing by Giselle Hall and Will Francis, and our executive producer is Sergio Lopez. Until next time, goodbye.